0: Chapter 55, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13, Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13. Uh, we're going to take uh, a couple weeks uh, off uh, from Isaiah after this. This concludes the fifth cycle of Isaiah, so just a few weeks off. I've heard from some people uh, that they, they might need a little break from Isaiah. We've been on it for almost a year, uh, So, and, then, and we still have 11 chapters to go, so... <laughs> Just a little break, um, and then we'll jump back into Isaiah 56 in a couple of weeks. So Isaiah 55, let me remind you, uh, this is God's good and kind and gracious word for you this morning. So give attention to it. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for him to help us understand his word. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for giving us this gracious word today. I pray that through your word and by your word, we might see Christ more clearly. We might delight in him and that we might join uh, with those who celebrated him prior to his passion, his entry into Jerusalem. I pray that he would enter into our hearts today by your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the year 2000, I remember sitting in the office of an academic advisor at LSU uh, trying to figure out how I could get out of college algebra. That was my main goal. And the teacher, I mean, the the advisor uh, asked me, she said, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, oh, I really don't know what I want to do. I said, but I think I might be called to go into the ministry. And so this advisor, you know, her face kind of contorted a little bit. She didn't kind of know what to do with that. But then her face brightened and she said, oh, she said, well, I'm not a very religious person, but I love Psalm 23 and the Beatitudes, especially, you know, and okay, so let me tell you what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes are the first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's two things that came from that. Well, a couple things that came from that. First of all, she got me out of college algebra. So you're looking at a man who has never successfully passed college algebra, um, and I'm proud of that fact. But secondly, um, I remember that conversation so well because I realized that I missed an opportunity there to talk with her about Jesus. But I also think about it because I realized that she really had no idea what Psalm 23 and the Beatitudes are really all about. Well, let me explain why I say that. And as a pastor, I actually hear that a good bit. There are all sorts of scriptures that people who aren't believers, that aren't religious, that they just know because it's part of our culture. Psalm 23 is the one you hear at almost every single funeral that you will attend. So even non-religious people will hear Psalm 23. And how does Psalm 23 begin? It begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay. What about the Beatitudes? Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes begin with Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's why I say that she really didn't know what she was talking about when she said she really liked those passages. And why anybody that says that, apart from knowing Christ, really don't have a clue what they're saying. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What King David is saying there is, you know, I might be the king of a great nation. But that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters about me is who I am before the Lord. And what am I before the Lord? I am a sheep. I am a helpless, wandering sheep. And sheep are dumb animals. And David is saying, I can't do anything for myself. My shepherd has to do it for me. And that beatitude, the first one, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven what Jesus is saying there is that we as individuals have nothing in, our, in ourselves. We have no spiritual capital. We can't do anything for ourselves before God. We need somebody to do something for us. And he says, for those that recognize your spiritual need before God, you are given everything you need. Well, the world says typically one of two things. One, that you are worthy enough that you're strong enough that you have everything you need in yourself to do whatever it takes to save yourself. Or it says that you have this inherent dignity and worth and you just have to live up to that dignity and worth. You don't need anybody else. It's just you. That's typically what our world says in contrast again to the scriptures that says, No, you are poor. That's who all of us are. You are a sheep Lonely, wandering up a mountain pass, easy prey to be devoured and you need a shepherd. Well, the importance of this is that Isaiah says that for poor, wandering sheep like us, there's good news. And the good news is that not to pull yourself up, not to do it for yourself, but to trust in the one who has done everything for you. Again, this is the fifth Cycle The final chapter of the fifth, fifth cycle of Isaiah. And this chapter ends the great announcement of comfort that began in Isaiah chapter 40, 40 where Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people. Because for the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, he was, Isaiah was telling the people how terrible they were, how bad off they were, how they needed something that they didn't have. And then God says through Isaiah, comfort How do you receive the comfort that you need as a sinner? And ultimately, you get it from the suffering servant, as we saw in Isaiah 53. And then Isaiah 54 last week, the celebration of coming into the Messiah, of being welcomed in him. And then today in chapter 55, this wonderful invitation, this gracious invitation that God gives Now, there's something else that's important for us, because this is Palm Sunday. This is the day traditionally the church celebrates as Jesus entering into Jerusalem and the palm branches being waved and that sort of thing. I think that Jesus actually had Isaiah 55 in mind as he was going into Jerusalem. And I think that the people who were celebrating Jesus also had Isaiah 55 in mind as they were going into Jerusalem. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But first, I want you to see just a couple of other things. First thing I want you to see from this passage is the, God's gracious invitation and His provision to His people. And you see that there in verses 1 through 5. So look there at verse 1. What does He say? He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. These are among the most gracious words in all of the Bible. And the Bible is full of gracious words, and so that is really saying something. But I I maintain that these are among the most gracious of the words that you will read about in the Scriptures. But in order, order to really understand these gracious words, you need to understand something else. You need to understand how the biblical writers understood sin So in the Old Testament, there are six different nouns and three different verbs that are used to describe or are used synonymously with sin. In our English translations, you'll read those different words this way. You'll even read it as evil or iniquity or as transgression, things like that. And sin, you need to understand, is not just something you do. That's why it's a noun. Sin is actually something that you are. In other words, because you are sinful from birth, you have original sin. Because you are a sinner from birth, you sin. Okay? That's important. You you are a sinner, and because of that, you sin. And your sin causes you to fall short of the standard that God has set up. You miss the mark. You are bent and crooked and cannot be made straight again apart from the miracle that God does for you. In the New Testament, the writers pick up on this. And Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. God has put a target up there for you to hit. And that target is the very glory of God. And you fail to hit that target. Therefore, you are a sinner. In the mind of the biblical writers, because you have fallen short of God's righteous demands, you then are in debt to God. Let me explain it this way. When you're born into this world, you are borrowing everything from God. From the moment of your first breath, it is His air that you are breathing. From the moment... That you breathe in your first breath, the very energy that it takes for you to expand your lungs and take in air, that energy, guess where it comes from? You didn't well that up in yourself. God gave you that energy. You didn't create it. You didn't create anything in this world. Everything in this world is given to you. You say, Well, I've worked hard my entire life, I've earned the things that I've given. Who gave you the energy? And the ability to work hard. God gave that to you. And since everything in your life has been borrowed from God. God understandably has certain expectations for you. He wants you to repay his kindness to you. So what does he want? He wants you to use your breath, your energy and your life to praise him. But what do you do instead? You use from the moment of your birth, your breath, your energy, your life to praise yourself. Babies don't come out of the womb saying, I don't need to eat. I'm fine. Take care of yourself. Babies say, gimme, 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 gimme. Here's what that means for you and for everyone else that's born in the world. That you owe to God. An unfathomable debt. It is a debt that grows exponentially every moment of your existence. It is a debt that you cannot pay back. And this is why Isaiah's words to you and me this morning are so striking. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. When he says, come everyone who thirsts, he's talking about those who are poor. Because, you know, who is he writing to? He's writing to people who live in an arid climate, in a desert region. I mean, In South Louisiana, you know, the water literally falls from the sky, right? It's everywhere. We're surrounded by it. It's not very costly. Unless you have a lot of children and you have a water bill, right? Then it can get costly. But, but even still, it's really not costly. Well, in this day, water meant life. And it cost a lot of money to have water, which meant it cost a lot of money to have life. And what Isaiah is saying, those of you who are poor, who can't support your own life, come and buy life without any resources, without anything of your own. Come and buy because it's graciously given to you. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, come and buy what? Wine? And milk. Wine has a lot of different symbolic meaning in the Bible. Oftentimes it's an indication of joy and celebration, but more often it's compared to and it's symbolic of life itself. And so he says, Come and buy life, true life. What's milk? Well, the Canaanite land, the land flowing with milk and honey, it's an indication, it's a symbol of abundance, of more than you need. Isaiah says, come to the Lord. Don't just buy water, which is good enough. But buy wine and milk, abundant life, more than you could ever need from the Lord. Those of you who are spiritually poor, who have no resources of yourself, come and buy without money. Next, Yahweh points out a particular problem that humans have in verse 2. Why do you spend money, your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? What's the human condition that he's talking about there? Well, it's the fact that we are deeply dissatisfied with everything in this world because nothing ever lives up to its billing. Nothing ever is as great as it says it's going to be. Here's some examples of that. You can spend hundreds of dollars on a glorious meal You can go home stuffed to the gills, go to sleep, have a lot of indigestion while you're sleeping, and wake up the next morning and be hungry. It doesn't ultimately satisfy you. You can go on the most restful vacation where you don't have to do anything for seven days, and you will come home, and your experience is you are exhausted because vacation doesn't satisfy. You can make lots of money, you can have enough money to buy whatever you want, and it's never enough, and it will never be enough. And I think this problem is particularly evident in the United States. Here's just another, one, uh, another example of it. There are people in the United States today that are both obese and malnourished. They have all the food that they could ever want. They are surrounded by food. And yet in their eating of it, they do not receive the nutrients that they need. It doesn't satisfy. And God looks at us in all of our different situations and he says, why are you wasting your life trying to satisfy yourself with these things? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And there is a correspondence here when Jesus is talking to Satan in the wilderness. And, say, and Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. He's saying man is ultimately satisfied, not with physical food, but with the things spiritually that God provides. And God says, why do you, why do you waste your money and your time on all of these things? Because they don't satisfy you. And here's the thing. You know they don't satisfy you. And yet every morning you wake up and you forget that. But Isaiah is reminding us, don't go after those things because they won't satisfy. Uh, Interestingly, at the end of verse 2, he says, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. The, The Hebrew word is actually fatness. Delight yourself in fatness. And as Americans, we go, wait, fat isn't good. No, that's not true cook everything in butter, it's delicious, it's wonderful, and it's actually healthy for you. In the ancient days, they actually saw, and this is how they thought of it, if you were fat, you were healthy, because it meant you had enough food to live on, all right? Americans, we get it all wrong, okay? Enjoy the fatness. Again, this, he really isn't talking about the physical things that we eat, but the fatness that God provides, the extra, the abundance That he gives. Enjoy those things. Now, there is a spiritual lesson and there is a physical component to this because God tells us here, I want you to delight your soul spiritually in him. He wants you to be satisfied with him, with his presence, with his work, and his goodness. And so he goes on there in this section to talk about this everlasting covenant. But notice there, he says, Behold, Or verse 3, I will make a covenant with you. And in the Hebrew there, it's interesting. Usually in the Hebrew, he's talking plural, but there he talks singular. And he says, just like I made a covenant with that man, David, to promise to protect him and provide for him. God says, I make a covenant with you individually as well. David was a murderer and an adulterer. God protected, provided for him. And he says, I'm going to do the same for you. You will live, and here's the thing, if you understand this, you will live your life, if you understand that God loves you the way that he loved David, you'll live your life the way that David did, not perfectly, but in humility. And you will use your breath and your life to praise the Lord. And when you sin, you will praise God for his grace and his mercy. And you will understand that today, right now, whatever your circumstance, that God is not withholding anything good from you today. Again, in whatever your circumstance, be it good or bad, God in his grace to you is giving you good things and you will praise him for it. So there's the first thing that you see, the, the gracious invitation from the Lord. In verses 6 through 11, uh, you see the gracious pardon and purpose of God in verses 6 through 11. You know, there's one aspect of salvation that preachers really don't like to talk about. And oftentimes preacher will, preachers will leave it out. And it's this. Um, it's repentance. Because repentance is really hard for humans to, to accept. Well, it's often said that salvation is unconditional. That God offers salvation unconditionally. Well, technically speaking, that's not true. Salvation is conditional. It's conditional upon two things. This is more clear in the New Testament, but it certainly is in the the Old Testament. You see it here. Salvation is conditional upon believing upon Jesus Christ. You must believe upon Jesus, first thing. And secondly, you must repent of your sins, and turn to Jesus. That's why Isaiah says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah says to these people, he says, Seek the Lord when? While he may be found. Because there will be a time and a time is coming when you will not be able to find the Lord. Well, you will not be able to seek him and find him. And just as an illustration of this, there are times when God is more near than other times. And I mean, this is one example. It's similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. When Jesus said in the New Testament that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, What Jesus was saying literally was the kingdom of heaven is at hand because the king is here. He was physically present with his people. So what Isaiah is saying is seek the Lord today while he may be found. You need to draw near to the Lord because there is a time when you will not be able to do it. And how do you do that? You do that by repenting. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Repent from your sins. He says return to the Lord. And what will happen? He will have compassion on you. Why? At the very end of that. For he will abundantly pardon. God abundantly pardons the sinner's sin. And if you hear in this. Oh well you know what that means is. I have to, Repentance means. I turn from my sin. I clean myself up. I do all of the work. To, to make sure I'm clean and then I can come to God and then maybe if I'm good enough, maybe he will accept me. If that's what you hear in this, then you're hearing it wrong. You need to hear it correctly. Repentance is not turning from your sin and turning to doing good. It's not I, I'm a sinner. I've done bad. I'm going to turn from my sin and now I'm going to turn to do good. This is repentance. Repentance is I'm a sinner. I'm turning from my sin and I turn to the Lord And I rest upon the Lord, not on my good works. And so he says there, rest upon the Lord, repent, turn from your sin today, give it to the Lord and do it today. Because there's going to be a time when he will not accept repentance. And then some are going to respond in this. And Isaiah, I think, knows this, which is why he writes verses eight and nine. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Because some people say, well, God is holy and just, and He can only accept those who are holy and just like Him. But God says, no, that's not how I work. Because I think things way better than you do. I don't just accept the good people, because there are no good people. Well, there was one good person. He says, I accept all of those who turn to me in repentance. I give them my grace. This salvation is so wonderful that no doubt some would hardly believe it. So he gives also a word picture of his success in saving sinners. Verses 10 and 11, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, they don't go back to God. They water the earth. They they make the plants grow and all those things. He says, that's what my word is going to do. I'm going to send my word into the world and it will be successful in accomplishing my goal. And what is the purpose? What is the goal of God in this? It's the pardon of sinners because that is God's very purpose in His work of salvation. It's His gracious offer of salvation for weak and wounded sinners like us. So what must you do to be saved? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins Turn away from yourself and turn to the Lord and do it today while he may be found. And then finally, you see in verses 12 and 13, the gracious peace of God. Because he gives a vision to the people. He's again transitioning out and he breaks this scene and he goes into something that's a little bit unexpected. He shows a vision of the people leaving their slavery, leaving their time in exile. Remember, they had been put in exile in Babylon. He says, this is what it's going to be like when I send you home. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And and what he's doing is he's comparing this salvation, this release from exile to the one that they had whenever they were released from exile in Egypt. Go back to Exodus, and you remember that time. And what happened? They had to quickly eat, quickly gather their things. And while they were leaving, the Egyptians were so tired of them, they were throwing their gold and silver and saying, Get out of here. Go. We don't want you anymore. And so the people were hurrying up to get out, and they had to speed out of the way. God says that's not what this salvation is going to be like. It's going to be better. Because this time, as you go out, there's going to be celebrating and joy. There's going to be no fear. It's going to be accomplished and done. And that actually happened in the days of the Babylonian uh, freedom as they were leaving Babylon and being sent back to Israel. Um, They were sent back with the resources of the king. They were sent back to then go and rebuild Jerusalem. But again, this is a spiritual thing more than it is that actual physical thing because there's a greater salvation that God has in mind. When when ancient slaves were set free, very often they had no resources. All of their resources went to setting themselves free. They had nothing of their own. And God says, that's not what this salvation is, because I accomplish it for you. I'm going to give you even more. I'm going to give you my peace. And the word peace is the word shalom. And it means to be made complete, to be made whole, to be lacking in nothing. This salvation that God gives means you are lacking nothing, that you have everything that you need. And he says, you know, even the mountains... And the palm trees are going to be clapping their hands. Even the trees are going to be waving and singing. And in the Bible, oftentimes nature is personified. When God would make a covenant, he would call the nature, the heavens and the earth to come and to witness the covenant. And so what's happening there is the earth and the heavens are excited because the promises of God are coming to fruition. And they're saying... We are so vested in this because we are witnesses to this that we're going to celebrate because of the Lord. In verse 13 here, you see a reversal that's happened. Isaiah there mentions uh, the thorns and the briars. And he certainly has Genesis chapter 3 in mind. Whenever God cursed Eve and then Adam and then the ground. And he said to Adam, thorns and thistles will the ground produce for you all the days of your life. And by the sweat of your brow will you produce food. And what Isaiah is saying there is instead of those thorns and thistles with the salvation that God grants, with what he accomplishes, instead of that, there's going to be not thorns, but cypress trees, big, strong cypress trees or an evergreen tree. And instead of the briars or the thistles, there's going to come up beautiful things. So here's what that means for us now. There will be a day where we will literally not have to worry about wearing shoes because there's not going to be thorns in the ground. There's not going to be things that hurt our feet. So if you don't like wearing shoes, good news, there's going to be a day when you don't have to worry about it. So that's literally one of the benefits. But there's something even greater than that for us today. It also means that today, that right now, the things in your life that seem like they're unfruitful and they're pointless at those places, there is going to spring forth beauty, meaning, and purpose. That all of your griefs and sorrows in this life, in this world today, all of the pain and rejection that you daily feel, all of the hurt that you go through, and all of your failures, and all of your disappointments, and every single one, life will spring up from those things. Because that is God's purpose and his delight to make those things spring up in your life. It's one of the reasons why I love telling you about my failures. (laughs) I failed out of LSU so many times, it's laughable. But it's a delight for me to tell you those things. Not, Not because I like saying I'm an idiot, but because it's such a glorious thing to look back and say, look at... Look at where the Lord has brought me. He took a failure like me. And that's what he delights to do. He takes failures like us. He remakes us and he says, life comes from those things. You can go back and look at those two to three years of my life and it was like, well, there's nothing happening with that guy. And I look back and go, the Lord was growing me in ways that are just unimaginable. It's the same in your life. Your griefs, your sorrows. The pain that you feel, the Lord is growing. Now, Isaiah was looking forward to a day when the mountains would cry out and the trees would clap their hands. Well, has that day happened? In the final week of Jesus' life on earth, he entered into the city of David, Jerusalem, which is his city. And what did the people do? They took the palm branches down and they waved them around. Actually, what they did is they clapped them together. That's what they were doing. We have our children sometimes wave them. They were clapping the trees together because they had this text in their mind saying, here is the Messiah and He has come to give us a salvation that we cannot earn for ourselves. And then what happened whenever Jesus was riding through and the Pharisees said, tell them to stop worshiping you as the Messiah. He said, if they don't, the stones... Or the mountains would cry out in worship. See, Jesus was thinking of this too. But there's a warning attached to this because not less than five days later, the same people who were praising Jesus were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Because he didn't live up to their expectation. Because he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. Jesus Christ is not the Messiah that you want. He's so much better than that. He's the Messiah that you need. He has come to bring the peace of God to you, to take the thorns and the briars of your life away. He has come to give you the great love of God for poor and wounded sinners who cannot buy it for yourself. So Isaiah says, come All who are thirsty, come and drink, come and buy without price. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word, and I pray that we would seek the Lord today. I pray that that would be true whether we don't know the Lord or we do, that we would seek after the Lord with all of our hearts. We thank you for the salvation that he has accomplished for us. I thank you for drawing near to your people so that you may be found. Lord, I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close by singing the final hymn, Jesus.